Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us. And I get especially excited on these first Sundays of a new series. And so this is the beginning of a study of the book of Mark over the next eight Sundays, uh, finishing up on Easter Sunday. So eight Sundays from now is Easter. I think the snow will be gone then. I hope the snow will be gone then, right? This series is called You're Not Far. And so the first part of the message today, the teaching, we're going to show you where we get that from the book of Mark, and that today's topic is called The Beginning. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at Mark. And in the Gospels, the religious leaders often uh, challenged Jesus. They were trying to trick Jesus to try and get Jesus to say something dumb or say something blasphemous so the people would turn against them. And um, so we, we had these, these uh, encounters between the religious leaders and Jesus different times. And so in the account we're going to look at in chapter 12 of Mark, if you want to look that up on your own, we'll have it on the screen. Um, the chapter we're looking at, the book of Mark, <clears throat> um, there's this in, uh, story Jesus tells about, well, he's, he's talking to the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in the resurrection, or they didn't after death. And so he's, they ask him this question, this lady dies and, and she marries her ex, her dead husband's brother and then he dies and et cetera, et cetera. Like six different brothers and they all die and the Sadducees ask him, well, who, they didn't believe in, the, in heaven, but they said, whose spouse is she going to be in heaven? And Jesus insults them. He says to them, you don't know your Bible. And he goes on and tells them, uh, you know, this wisdom about, yes, there is life after death. And so, um, one of these guys that are listening to this is impressed with Jesus' answer, and so that's where we're going to pick up the stories. One of the teachers of religious law were standing there listening to this debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? He's asking a priority question. Uh, especially important to us when our values collide. Uh, we might have two values and both of them are good, but which, which are we going to do? Or maybe your spouse and you disagree on something. Uh, so what do you do? Now, Jesus is going to give them, I'm going to call the Sunday school answer. Everybody that had been to the synagogue, their church back then, would know the answer to this question. Because it's in their Bible, their, we call the Old Testament. And so the first part comes to Deuteronomy, and, <clears throat> and that's in verse, what are we at, 29, verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, only Lord, excuse me. Again, this is quoting from Deuteronomy. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So we, so we expect Jesus to be finished there, right? This is the most important commandment. I know you have two, 600 and some, and of course there's the 10 commandments, but we're going to whittle it down to one. This is it. But Jesus wasn't finished. He goes on and says, the second is equally important. Now, not that that was number one and this is number two. No, they're equally important. It's like 1A and 1B. In fact, he's going to say basically it's one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is in the Old Testament. No other commandment singular. 
So he's combined what we would think two different things into one commandment. And he says, no other commandment is greater than these. And then it's kind of funny, the response of this teacher, because he's going to kind of give Jesus a pat on the back. <laughs> he's gonna say, of course, he doesn't know who he's talking to. The teacher of religious law replied, well, well said, teacher. You did a good job. That was a good answer. Of course, it's the Son of God. He, he would know the answer. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other, which is rare. The Jews were the only one who believed in one God. Everybody else had multiple, multiple gods. <clears throat> so this guy's saying, Jesus, good job. You, did, you answered well. <clears throat> and now Jesus is going to resp- respond to this, to this, uh, to this teacher. Oh, no. First, he, he, he elaborates. Excuse me. The teacher's going to elaborate. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than offering uh, to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. So the law had all these sacrifices, and you go to the temple and make this sacrifice for this sin, etc., etc., that was the system they operate on. And he said, no, 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 I understand that loving God and loving my neighbor is more important than any of these ritual laws. <clears throat> and this is a good advice for you and I. If I'm not sure what to do in a certain situation, this is a good fallback, if you will. Well, is this loving God? Is this loving my neighbor? If so, it might be the good thing to do. If not, it's probably not the good thing to do. So Jesus is going to respond to this guy and say, you're, you're on the right track. You, you know, some of these other guys, don't, they don't understand, but you seem to understand. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far. That's our series title. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions because Jesus' answers were always so much wiser than, than even the questions. So, what's next? You're not far. What's next? Well, the next step would be, of course, put your faith in, in this Messiah, this Jesus that he was talking to. He didn't understand at that point. And that's the most difficult step for all, all of us, to step across that line. But at this point, he's not far. He's close. In fact, some translation says you're closer than you think. It's near. Now, kingdom. What do you mean by kingdom? Well, it's not an earthly kingdom. It's not something you can see, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a, in a few minutes. Now, we've got three major characters in this story when we're looking at the book of Mark. The first character is Simon Peter. The reason he's part of this story is because scholars tell us that the book of Mark is most likely Peter's story. Um, it was the first gospel written probably 30 years after Jesus. Peter might have been about 50 years in his 50s. Uh, he'd been going around telling these stories, I'm sure, for this whole 30 years. He started preaching at Pentecost. <clears throat> but evidently only parts of it were written down until this point. And the interesting thing is about this that it doesn't show Peter in a very Good light. In fact, it's embarrassing to Peter. <laughs> Different times, Peter seems to put his foot in his mouth. Uh, eventually, he denies Christ and uh, leaves him. But this is believed to be 
Peter's story, one of the, the disciples, just like Matthew, one of the disciples wrote a gospel, and John, one of the disciples wrote a gospel. This is his account, his, his uh, telling of the story, his experience. Of course, the main character of the story is Jesus. This is about this guy that came to earth 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus of this place of Nazareth, and we believe he was the Son of God. <clears throat> and Peter's going to tell us what it was like. In a short version, what it was really like for over three years to hang out with Jesus. Fascinating, isn't it? We're going to get a glimpse into that as we study Mark. And of course, John Mark is the main character because evidently he, Peter dictated it to him. Peter probably couldn't read or write. And so he's dictating this, and John Mark is writing it down. And scholars tell us they believe this happened in Rome. Peter had been arrested. He's in Rome waiting trial, and we, history tells us he probably was executed in, by Nero. And so he's dictating. Now, Mark's kind of an interesting gospel. It's the shortest gospel. It was written first. Most of it appears in the other gospels. Only, I think, 30-some verses don't appear in some other gospel. But it's not chronological. We, normally, when you tell a story, you think it's going to be chronological. I don't know why John chose to write it this way. Maybe Peter dictated it that way. Um, but it's a true story because of the person that's telling it, of his experiences. Now, this past Wednesday, I took my wife out to lunch, but as we were out to lunch, she wanted to go grocery shopping. I don't usually go grocery shopping. It's not one of my favorite things to do. But I was get, spending the day with her, so if she wanted to grocery shop, I would go grocery shopping. Well, we didn't go to one grocery store. We didn't go to two grocery stores. <laughs> we went to three grocery stores besides lunch. But anyway, at one of these grocery stores, my wife's birthday is tomorrow. Say happy birthday to my wife. Um, it's her birthday tomorrow, so she bought herself a birthday cake. I'm not going to bake her one, so she bought one. So she didn't have to bake it. <clears throat> but anyway, as we're going out of the checking line, um, I made this comment <clears throat> that life is short. I don't know where it originated. I could look it up. Life is short. Eat dessert first. And so the lady behind the, uh, the checkout lady made, made some comment about it. Well, John's kind of going to start his gospel with... Uh, John Mark, excuse me, going to start his gospel with the dessert first, if you will. <laughs> the best part. And again, this is Peter's accounting of what he saw. This is not like Luke investigating and writing down what he, what he discovered. He wasn't a disciple. Matthew, Mark, and, and John, they all, and Luke, I mean, Mark writing for Peter, excuse me. Yeah, it's going to get confusing, I can see. <laughs> uh, this is what I saw. I experienced this firsthand. Now, he had no way of knowing that 2,000 years later we'd be reading it today. But he was just telling his experience. This is his true story, his experience. And as we read this first verse, it's going to start with the beginning. <clears throat> but not like John's gospel, the beginning of time. This is the beginning of the story of Jesus. There's a sense of excitement about it, even as we read this first verse. So let's look at Mark 1, 1. <clears throat> the beginning of the good news. Question, you like good news or bad news? We all like good news, right? 
the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, he is the, the foretold Messiah, meaning he was literally the Son of God. Peter, are you sure? Well, I saw it, and we're going to read a couple of verses where Peter actually attributed to Peter uh, that somebody else probably wrote down for him. In Peter, 1 Peter 2.22, he says, well, here's what I experienced. This is what I know. He, meaning Jesus, did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. I mean, only a Messiah would do that. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Now, I didn't want to leave it in the hands of God. I resisted. I struck back when he was arrested and eventually lost hope, especially when he was crucified. He goes on. He, again, Jesus, personally carried our sins, your sin, my sin, in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds, by his death. You and I are healed. Our, our separation from God, our sins can be forgiven. Are you sure, Peter? Again, earlier in this letter, he says this, because God has raised Jesus, the anointed from death, through his great mercy, he raised Jesus, we have been, and through his mercy, we have been reborn into a living hope. I lost hope at the crucifixion, at the resurrection. My faith in him, my hope was reborn. And Peter's writing this, or dictating it 30 years later, and so the gospel had spread. It has spread all the way to Rome, where Peter was, was in prison. And so, yes, this is true. This is, this is uh, real. This is, this is working, uh, the gospel spreading. So, <clears throat> uh, Peter wants to tell us the bottom line. Um, you know, I'm going to summarize it in a... In, in, a, in, in, in one sentence, if you will. <clears throat> now, our problem is when we read the Bible, most of the time we read it for these three purposes. We read it for application. All right, I'm going to find out what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing or how I should do it. We read it for inspiration. You know, I'm kind of down. I'm going to read the Scripture uh, and going to understand what, you know, God's, God's on his throne. God's all-powerful. You know, no matter what's going on around me, I can trust him, etc. Inspiration. And then for direction, okay? I've got a decision to make. Is it, you know, I need some wisdom. What's the wise thing to do? So when you and I read Scripture, we often read it with that, in that context. But we need to remember when we're reading Mark, again, this is Peter's telling of his experience walking alongside Jesus. And so when we read stories like uh, the prodigal son, for example. We read that and we understand, hey, no matter how far this guy had roamed, uh, his father accepted him back and he still loved him. None of us want to be like the second, the older brother, do we? Or we read the story where Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't, I don't condemn you. You need to stop doing this, but I don't condemn you. So yeah, I've done some wrong things, but I truly believe God doesn't condemn me either. Or the good Samaritan, this guy that everybody looked down upon because he was a Samaritan. Um, the Jews would have looked down on anyway. And he was the one that showed love and or kindness to this 
injured person when the Jewish <laughs> religious people didn't. <clears throat> so what is the bottom line? If I was to ask you this, if you're a Jesus follower, uh, this would be the bottom line. If you're not a Jesus follower, the luddage you're watching because this series is in some ways especially for you because if you're not a Jesus follower or once was and you've left, you need to remember that as the series is called, you're not far. So what's the bottom line? Most of us are Jesus followers. I've been a Jesus follower for shoot, over 50 years. We would say something like this. Well, this guy, Jesus, came to earth. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He suffered unjustly. He was executed. Three days later, he came back to life. He conquered sin and death. And if I put my faith in him, my sins can be forgiven. I can have a relationship with God, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's basically what we would say, most of us. We could put something else in there, but that's basically what we say. Now, if we're asking Peter, what was Jesus' bottom line? He says, no, that's not it. That wasn't it. And here's what he would say. Not because that's not true. It's true now, but it wasn't true then. Jesus hadn't died yet, right? So that can't be the message that Jesus taught. So what was Jesus teaching? That God is near. The kingdom is near. That you and I are not far, even though we might feel like we're far. So, we'll go back to chapter 1. After he says that, then he talks about John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, Jesus coming to him to be baptized, and then we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, and we're going to show you a map here where that is, where he preached God's good news. Again, good news. So, here's a map, and we're going to show you a map every week because, again, this is not chronological, so different times in the story, Jesus is going to be in different places. So this is basically a map of um, <clears throat> the nation of Israel in the time of Jesus. Just some basic things. You have the Mediterranean Sea on the west. You have the Jordan River on the east that runs from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is down there near the Dead Sea, uh, between there and the Mediterranean. Um, and Galilee's up there at the top. And Samaria is the place the Jews wouldn't go in, the, in between there. Now John is baptizing right there at the uh, bottom of the Jordan River, right above the Dead Sea. And we visited there uh, a couple years ago. It's about a, day, a full day's walk from Jerusalem there. So if you were traveling as Jesus did to, to get baptized, it was a full day's trip. So he got baptized there, but he began his ministry of preaching where? What the, the verse said. Peter was saying, well, we, he started up there in Galilee. So, text goes on. The time promised by God has come at last. This is Jesus' message of good news. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Now, what is he talking about kingdom? Now, they were expecting the nation of Israel to become a, you know, a, 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 a free from, from Rome. <laughs> That's what they were expecting. But this is a whole different kingdom. <clears throat> and this kingdom would have uh, impact on your lives. 
personal lives. I'll describe it this way. It was going to be a kingdom of the heart and conscience, not a physical kingdom, a kingdom of the heart and conscience. And so this was a little confusing to them as they're listening. The, the, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is near. Well, what, what are you talking about? And this kingdom, as we're going to see, was this kind of upside-down kingdom, the reverse kingdom where the, where the rulers served the, uh, the, uh, the, the servants. And the first will be last, and last will be first, etc., etc. And another shocking thing that Jesus would talk about would be that there's going to be a, there's a new covenant or a new agreement or a new way of God dealing with his people. The old way with the temple and the sacrifices, this is, this is going to be something new, something different. And this covenant requires a response. Every covenant requires a response. So what was the response to this covenant? Uh, this good news that Jesus began to, to teach. Well, it's going to be two responses or two imperatives, two must, if you will, in response to this. So back to that verse. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Here's the first imperative. Repent. Repent of your sins. But not just repent of your sins. Repent in the way of thinking. You need to change your way of thinking. Repent means to turn around. So you're thinking this way before. You need to turn and think this way now. Turn from your sins. Turn from that way of thinking. The other imperative is believe in the good news. Trust me. I like the word entrust. That means I have turned myself over to you. I am trusting you fully with my being. And the one other thing that was really disturbing to Jesus' followers and the, the Jewish community he was talking to was that everybody is invited to participate in this new covenant and in this new kingdom. The Jews thought that Yahweh was kind of just their personal God. The, Jew, the Romans and the Greeks had all their gods, but you know, Yahweh is our God. <laughs> um, and he said, no, no, Yahweh is not far from anybody, everybody. So, then he goes on to tell us how, again, he's jumping around here, how Jesus' ministry got started and how he became part of the story, obviously. So, picking up the text in verse 16, chapter 1. One day as Jesus was walking along the sea, uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, up there in the north, he saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they were fishing for a living. That was their job. Now, we were in Israel a little over less than two years ago, and here's a picture of the when we were there, and I want to show you this picture because this is uh, the town of Tiberias. This was built during the, the Roman Emperor T Tiberius. And notice, does that look like a big, a big town? And this is, you know, two years ago. So the towns around the Sea of Galilee in the time of Jesus were really, really small little villages, if you will. And the Sea of Galilee is more like a lake. Uh, it's called a sea, but it's about the size of a lake. So the text goes on. Jesus called out to them, who? Peter and, or Simon, Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Come follow me. 
and I will show you how to fish for people. You know how to fish for fish. Well, we're going to use your skills, kind of tweak it a little bit or tweak it a lot, and I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. You're going to catch people, catch people for this kingdom. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Some of the other gospels fill in the story a little bit more, but Peter gets to the bottom line. He said, follow, we follow. <clears throat> a little farther up the shore, text goes on. Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James, and John in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, something I'd like to share with you about James. James was one of the first martyrs of the church. And so, 30 years later, uh, I can imagine Peter's thinking back, and he's, I don't know about you, but I'm one of these people when somebody else has suffered something that, that doesn't seem just or, you know, I, I, I seem more blessed than they are. I get these questions, well, why them and not me? And I can imagine Peter saying, okay, why did, why did James, he's remembering James being called and James didn't, long after Jesus, uh, uh, the church started, he, he was executed. Uh, why him and not me? I've got to live these 30 years. Now, history tells us that Peter was probably executed also. But these four men had no idea what they were getting into, did they? And as we read the story, you'll, you'll understand that. But for whatever reason, there was something about Jesus that when he called, they came. So he calls them his companion. This text says they... He describes them as his companions. So Jesus and his companions, at least these four guys, went to the town of Capernaum. Again, very small town, I'm sure. <laughs> then the Sabbath day came, and what were they going to do on the Sabbath? What would a good Jew do on the Sabbath? He would go to worship. Now, you, there's only one temple. It's 90 miles away, so you're not going there every, every sa Sabbath. So they would go to what we call a synagogue. It's basically a school but they would worship there on, on the Sabbath if they had ten families. If you had ten families that would join together, you could establish a synagogue. And so consequently, they had lay leaders or teachers or whatever. But if a rabbi came along like Jesus and visited in your town, you would invite them to speak. If some famous preacher came into town, we could invite them to you know, stand up here and teach. So that's what was happening. So Jesus is teaching at this synagogue. And people, a small town, people knew each other. Probably these four guys knew the folks that were there. The people were amazed at his teaching. Were they always amazed at, his, at, the, at the teachings on the Sabbath? I don't think so. I don't think all of you are amazed every Sunday you come listen to me, are you? But in this case, they were amazed. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. There was something different about this teaching. And this teaching uh, affected them, had an impact on them. They couldn't just say, oh, that was nice, and walk away. It impacted them. Not like the teachers of religious law. Now, next couple of verses, Jesus heals this guy uh, who's demon-possessed. So he, he does this amazing teaching, and then he performs this miracle. So what do you think the results are going to be? Well, the text says it this way. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. We were missionaries in Portugal in the 
late 80s, and a lot of those folks didn't have phones. But anytime something happened, everybody knew somehow. So it's been that way through all of history. When good news or any kind of news spreads quickly, somehow people get the news. So the whole region of Galilee begins to talk about this guy named Jesus. So the text goes on. The time promised by God. No, we'll go back uh, to, to what Jesus uh, had said. The time promised by God, no, no. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Not far, closer than you think. In fact, it means you're never far. No matter how far you think you've gotten away from God, I always say it this way, it's only one step back. So you've gone and gone and gone away from God, you turn around and God's right there. It's not far. Do you have doubts? Maybe you walked away because of doubts. Peter had doubts. In fact, actually, Peter walked away. He denied Christ when he was uh, on trial. And then, as I said earlier, he lost hope. Messiahs don't die. And Jesus died on the cross. So let me give you a think about. Something to think about. There's lots of things. You can pick your own if you want. But I'm going to give you something specifically about this topic. Do you think God is near to you? Especially if you're not at this point a Jesus follower. You're listening for whatever reason. How far do you think God is from you? You think he's near? Or you think he's, you know, you and God are just way, way far apart. The second part of that question is, why do you think that? Because Jesus' message is what? When he started his ministry, he wanted people to know, that God has come near, God has left heaven and come to earth, he's as close as he can get, and you're not far. No matter what you've done or how long you've done it, you're not far from the kingdom, the kingdom of the heart and of the conscience. Now we pray with you. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for Peter's story of the time he spent with your son Jesus. We thank you with the story of hope, It's a story of no matter how we feel, your message to us is, God, you're not far. No matter what we've done, you're not far. And God, for those that may not be Jesus followers, we pray that prayer that they would understand that they're not far and and they, they do need to take that most important step to entrusting in their life to you, Jesus. But the debt has been paid on the cross for the forgiveness of all men. Everybody's invited to participate. And we encourage you to do that if you're not a Jesus follower. For us, those that are of us that are, sometimes I think we feel maybe because of our sin or something we've done or something we haven't done, we feel that you, God, are far away. You're never far. In fact, as Jesus followers, we believe you're you dwell in us. Thank you for that amazing promise. And so God, as we uh, conclude this service this morning, speak to us. Speak your message to us. Let it penetrate our hearts and minds. Whether it's to step across that line or to claim the promise that, God, you're near. You're not far. So we need not be discouraged. 
Thank you, Jesus, for what you're willing to do, that you loved us enough to suffer and die so that we might have a relationship with you, not just now, our sins forgiven, but for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.